Welcome to the Horror Comics Podcast, episode number twenty-four. I'm Chris, and thanks for thanks for being here. I'm going back to, I guess, the original sort of not original even. I don't even think I meant to do the radio show style thing when I started this show. Um, twenty-four, ep- three episodes, whatever. I guess I had zero episode too. So, so twenty-four episodes ago. Um, yeah. So. I felt like I wanted to get back to that. I didn't want, I know folks for here, you know, to talk about old school horror comics, but I also wanted to touch on the new stuff that was coming out that I thought was good that I was actually reading. And, uh, I really am enjoying the, the, uh, Hill house comics line from DC and, um, yeah, they're, they're cool. And it, I like the idea that they're not ongoing. It's just like there's six epi- or six issues or seven issues or however many, but they put a limit on it. Like you have this many issues to tell your story. Uh, and I think that's cool. So, but, uh, we're going to be talking about, um, something I've, I've started to sort of, um, started to collect here and it's the Harvey horrors collection, uh, or it's Harvey horrors collected works. And I've been getting, um, I've got all three of the soft cover collected uh, witches tales and I think I say all three I think there actually is maybe five of those anyway I've got the first three um, I've got um, a couple of the tomb of terror and I've got um, volume one of chamber of chills and there's actually more on the way so I'm excited to dig into that because that's what I'm doing today I'm doing volume one uh, or not volume one but <laughs> issue one um of Chamber of Chills, which I believe is actually issue number 21, and we've talked about it before, and I'll get into it later, but um, I before we get into the horror comic, I actually wanted to talk about a, um, a horror movie, uh, I guess, if you will. Uh, a lot of people label this movie in different, uh, different ways. Um, I, to me, it kind of was a horror movie, but... In that, in a, I don't know, in a art house kind of way, IMDb says that it's a drama fantasy horror, but it is 2019's The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers, written by Robert Eggers, uh, Eggers and his brother, Max Eggers, and it stars Robert Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, and Valeria Caraman, uh, very briefly. Um, in fact, it only stars two other people, um, aside from, well, okay, I take it back. There's uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine actors in the movie, um, four of which you see their faces, uh, and two of those you see very briefly. But uh, yeah, Robert Pattinson and uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, the Lighthouse was, I, I knew that Robert Pattinson had gotten out of the Twilight thing, like they kind of famously went away from that and wanted to do uh, smaller things, more, um, I guess, respected type things, maybe to kind of get out of that from being pigeonholed into the Twilight thing or whatever. Because even during those movies, which I've I've only seen one of the Twilight movies, and it was my wife, um, now my now wife at the time we were dating, she wanted she watched them and wanted to see wanted me to go with her to see the last movie. Uh, so I did, having not seen anything. Um, prior to that, and um, it was about as dumb as I expected it to be, uh, except there was, like, this badass 
like battle at the end where like people are getting their heads ripped off and shit and then it gets undone by someone wishing for peace or some I don't know anyway but the battle itself I was like damn I'm very surprised uh I don't know how well it holds up it's been a while but anyway he's obviously moved on from that and we all know he's going to be Batman uh which I'm actually really excited for so um yeah I actually I wanted to see him do something more serious uh you know in there, and I know he's going to be in Tenet, the new Christopher Nolan movie. So, uh, you know, I'll have another opportunity. I, yeah, it's just one of those things. I don't have a lot of time to watch movies and stuff, so I choose that time specifically for certain things I want to watch. And this was one of them. So I watched The Lighthouse, and good lord, um, I don't know what the. I mean, y- you can go online and and people kind of piece together sort of their theories, what they think it's about. But it's one of those movies where you're like, what the fuck happened here? Um, it's bizarre, but I love the way it's shot. It it looks um, as far as it's black and white, obviously, and it's a square frame. So it's it's a lot like watching an old silent film or like, you know, Nosferatu or something like that. Um, and it is set in like the 1890s in New England on this little island with the lighthouse, of course. Uh, and just I guess I'll go ahead and give a spoiler alert here. I am going to give spoilers. Um, it's it's But it's not like a horror movie in the sense that it's scary. It's more of just like anticipation of like something's going to crack here with these two guys stuck here and they don't get along and they only get along if they're just shitty drunk and um, then they like get along really well. But like it starts to, you know, it starts to get to a point where you kind of start questioning if one of them is real or not, and they address it in the movie, you know, is like, you know, which is Willem Dafoe's character even really there? Is it, is it an older Robert Pattinson's character? And they somehow there's some weird sci-fi thing going on. Um, uh, some theories say that Willem Dafoe's character might be a ghost because at the end of the movie, again, spoilers at the end of the movie, um, Robert Pattinson, his character takes, I mean, he kind of takes control. It's really weird because they're like fighting. They kinda, he kind of takes control out of nowhere and like makes Willem Dafoe's character start like acting like, like a dog. And he puts like a chain around his neck and then goes and throws him, buries him alive, starts to bury him alive. Um, and this hole that he's dug for him. And Willem Dafoe's given this great speech when he's actually throwing dirt, dirt all over him. And, and when they shot it, they were literally throwing dirt on him. It's like going in his mouth and stuff. And he's having to like try to chew it and spit it out and all. And he still delivers it perfectly. Um, it's, it's incredible. The performances by both of these guys is like top fucking notch. It's, it's so, so damn good. Um, it's, it's worth it for that. And sort of, uh, again, it's it, the aspect ratio that they shot it in. The, the uh, soundtrack is fantastic. I need to find who did that. Cause it's very, um, I don't know, it's very fitting for the movie, and I feel bad now that I I didn't pull that up, damn it. Okay, the soundtrack is by Mark Corvin, whose name I don't actually know, I'm not not familiar with, but um, I've been realizing a lot lately that composers, I'm like, oh, I don't know who that is. I'll go to their, like, discography. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. I know their music. Um, Yeah, so, okay, so Willem Dafoe's character dies because, I guess, of the hit he took... I don't know exactly, but he gets thrown in this hole. He starts to bury him, but he kind of stops before he really gets him, and he starts to pull him out of the dirt. 
and he's dead. And then Robert Pattinson's character goes back in. He he, he takes the keys off because of, he's Robert Pattinson's. So I know I'm not trying to piece this as together as like a narrative to get the whole story. I'm just like some of the crazier things. It's like this lighthouse. Um, Willem Dafoe's character is the only one that's allowed to. He has the key. He's the only one that is allowed to go up to the light. And Robert Pattinson sees some weird shit. Like, he goes up there one time trying to get in while Willem Dafoe's up there. And Willem Dafoe's, like, naked, standing in front of the light. And then, like, you see tentacles when coming, like, it's hard to explain, but, like, you can see through the slats in the floor. And, like, you can see Willem Dafoe's feet. And as he, like, runs away because he hears a noise, like, tentacles, like, follow. Like, as if he is part monster or something. Um, and then he kind of turns into this weird underwater sea creature king looking Atlantis something as Robert Pattinson's beating the ever living shit out of him at one point towards the end. But anyway, so yeah, so he, he finally dies. Robert Pattinson's character gets the keys, but then goes back inside the lighthouse and Willem Dafoe's character like perfectly clean and like, I mean, as clean as he is in the movie, but obviously not like he crawled out of the dirt. Like he runs back in with an axe and he's like you know you can't have my life or whatever something like that and he chops Robert Pattinson's arm with an axe and then Robert Pattinson kills him again it's just like weird because he 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 chops the axe down in Willem Dafoe's head and he's dead now but it was just weird like I didn't know I wasn't really sure what was going on um there's things like that it's a weird movie but uh it's definitely very interesting very intriguing but don't expect to get really any answers um there's a theory that I'm kind of going with, and I didn't come up with this. I read it somewhere, and I apologize because I don't remember where I read it, um, was that it has a lot of parallels with the story of uh, Prometheus. And it kind of makes sense, especially if you watch the movie, because I said spoilers at the end of the movie. Uh, Robert Pattinson goes up to the light, and it's this weird thing where he like reaches in, and he's like laughing, and he's in awe, and then he starts like screaming and screaming, and then he like falls down the stairs that led up to the light and he's all the way down these spiral stairs and then then you cut to him like out on the rocks at the sea naked and he like part of his his face has been eaten away by seagulls and they're like eating his intestines and stuff but he's awake um and like but still but he's just like clearly alive uh and feeling it so that ties in with prometheus and the just tie in there is um Prometheus is credited with the creation of humanity from clay uh, and who defies the gods by stealing fire and giving it to humanity as civilization. Prometheus is known for his intelligence uh, and as a champion of humankind. He is also seen as the author of the human arts and sciences generally. Anyway, uh, the punishment of Prometheus as a consequence of the theft of the fire um, is a major theme of his and is popular is a popular subject of both ancient and modern culture. Zeus, king of the Olympian gods, sentenced the Titan to eternal torment for his transgression. Uh, the immortal was bound to a rock where each day an eagle, the emblem of Zeus, was sent to eat Prometheus's liver, which would then grow back overnight to be eaten again the next day. In ancient uh, Greece, the liver was often thought to be the seat of human emotions. Uh, Prometheus was eventually freed by the hero uh, Heracles, sorry. Um, anyway, that is like exactly how the movie ends, and, and again with him being alive, I, I think it might just supposed to be a retelling of that story of him stealing the light or stealing the fire, because that's what he's after the whole time. Is he starts getting jealous and he wants to 
get the light, but he's not allowed to get there. And you don't ever see what's inside the light or if it showed him anything or what was going on there. Uh, you kind of also have to wonder if the whole thing happened inside of his head or if it ever happened at all. Uh, but either way, it's definitely a really intriguing movie. Um, the cinematography, the score, and the acting is kind of what you're there for. Uh, because, again, you don't get answers to the questions. It's one of those movies that kind of makes you make it up and have to go with the theory. I don't really normally like that kind of thing, but the rest of the aspects of the movie was so good that um, yeah, I don't care. Uh, you know, I, I can I can deal with it, and this is enough for me to say, you know what, this actually sounds right. It's probably what it is. It's just sort of a retelling of that, but they didn't want to be straightforward. They wanted to, it to feel like a mystery. Um, but yeah, there's uh, plenty there to, to kind of dig into. So uh, if you've seen it, let me know what you thought. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty. I, I liked it a lot. So I'm not gonna do like stars or anything like that or thumbs up. I just I really enjoyed the movie and thought it was really cool. And I probably will watch it again. Oddly enough, movies like that I generally don't repeat view. But uh, you know, I'll watch this one again for sure. And it's a pretty short movie. Uh, I think it was what like maybe two hours, maybe a little less. I don't know. Anyway, um, okay, so, again, I said we were going to be talking about the Harvey Horrors Collected Works, Chamber of Chills, Volume 1, uh, the first issue, which is 21, but a little bit of info on Chamber of Chills. There's actually two anthology horror comics um, called Chamber of Chills, the first one published uh, by Harvey Publications in the early 1950s, and then Marvel Comics had one, too, in the 70s. And uh, that's not the one we're talking about. We're talking about uh, Harvey Publications there. So uh, the first Chamber of Chills was a 10-cent horror anthology published bi-monthly by Harvey Publications that ran 26 issues covered dated June 1951 through December 1954. Artists included Bob Powell, Lee Elias, uh, Rudy Peleus, Howard uh, Nostrand, and Kramer? It just says Kramer, which is what my... Uh, which is what my friends called me uh, in high school because uh, my name was Chris Rimmer. And they were like, hey, Kramer. But this is more like a K-R-E-M-E-R. Regardless, doesn't matter. Issue 7 is mentioned in Dr. Frederick Wortham's scathing 1954 indictment of comic books, Seduction of the Innocent, on page 389. Chambers ceased publication following the Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency Hearings in 1954. Harvey then began concentrating on titles for young children, including Little Dot and Richie Rich. Chamber of Chill <coughs> sorry, Chamber of Chills was formerly Blondie Comics. Taking over the comics numbering with issue twenty <clears throat> just kidding. With issue twenty one after issue twenty four, December of nineteen fifty one, the numbering was reset to number one. Chamber of Chills became Chamber of Clues with the February nineteen fifty five issue and ceased publication two issue uh ceased publication it's just, it's all typed up weird. After two more issues, I think is what it's supposed to say. It says, cease publication, two issues, more issues. Two issues, more issues. The last one cover dated in April of 1955. So we're going to Harvey Comics. Harvey Comics, also known as Harvey World Famous Comics. Harvey Publications, Harvey Comics Entertainment, Harvey Hits, Harvey, <laughs> Harvey Illustrated Humor, and Harvey Picture Magazines was an American comic book publisher founded in New York City by Alfred Harvey in 1941 after buying out the small publisher Brookwood Publications. His brothers Robert B. and Leon Harvey joined shortly after. The company soon got into licensed characters, which by the 1950s became the bulk of their output. The artist Warren Kremer... Okay, so there we go. 
They didn't say Warren Krimmer in the uh, Chamber of Chills thing. Anyway, the artist Warren Krimmer is closely associated with the publisher. Harvey's signature mascot is Joker, a Harlequin jack-in-the-box character. So Harvey Comics was founded, again, by the Harvey brothers, Alfred, Leon, and Robert in the 1940s after first acquiring an existing faltering title from Brookwood Publications, Speed Comics. The title's headliners were Shock Gibson and Captain Freedom, a patriotic hero like The Shield. Harvey added more anthologies, including Champion Comics and Pocket Comics. From the new titles, only one would stay around for a while, The Black Cat, a Hollywood starlet superhero which was published into the 1950s. Harvey began to shift to licensed characters and when in 1942, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, the people that type up these, these, I mean, they are just going 90 to nothing, I guess, because they cannot even fucking, anyway, <clears throat> I'll do it for them. Harvey began to shift to licensed characters when in 1942, it took over, I'll say, I'll just correct them, it took over as the radio hero, wait, what? Took over, okay, basically what it's trying to say so terribly is that they took over with licensed heroes, they took over the Green Hornets publisher after six issues. Jesus. Harvey added additional titles such that uh, most of their titles were licensed. What the fuck? Licensed characters included Joe Palooka, Blondie, Dick Tracy, and other newspaper strip characters. The company ultimately became best known for characters it published in comics from 1950s onward particularly those it licensed from the animation company Famous Studios, a unit of Paramount Pictures, starting in 1951. These include Little Audrey, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Baby Huey, and Herman and Catnip. Harvey also licensed popular characters from newspaper comic strips, such as Mutt and Jeff and Sad Sack. In addition, Harvey developed such original properties as Richie Rich, Little Dot, and Little Lotta. Little Loda? I don't know. While the company tried to diversify the comics it published, with brief forays in the 1950s and 1960s into superhero suspense, horror, western, and other forms of such, in such imprints as Harvey Thriller and Thrill Adventure, children's comics were the bulk of its output. On July 27, 1958, Harvey purchased the October 1950 through December 1967 famous studio cartoons, including character rights and rights to the cartoon shorts, but excluding Popeye. The famous cartoons were repackaged and distributed to television as Harvey Tunes, and Harvey continued production on new comics and a handful of new cartoons produced for television. Casper the Friendly Ghost, who had been famous who had been famous as most popular original character, now became Harvey's top draw. Associated characters such as Spooky the Tough Little Ghost, the Ghostly Trio, Casper's Horse Nightmare, Hot Stuff the Little Devil, and Wendy the Good Little Witch were added to the Harvey line. In the early 1980s, Marvel Comics was in negotiations with Harvey Comics to assume publication of some of their characters. Harvey editor Sid Jacobson, along with the other Harvey staff, were interviewed by Mike Hobson, Marvel's Group Vice President of Publishing, de facto publisher. As part of the process, Jacobson created several new characters which were well-received by Hobson and effectively sealed the deal. Marvel Editor-in-Chief Jim Shooter appointed editor Tom DeFalco, as executive editor to coordinate with the Harvey staff, who were hired by Marvel. On the day Marvel was set to take over the Harvey publications, Harvey Comics pulled out of the deal due to an internal disagreement among the two remaining Harvey brothers, Alfred and Leon. Don't know why I paused so long for that. Harvey would cease publishing their comics in 1982. In summer 1984, Steve Geppi, owner of Diamond Comic Distributors and Geppi's online... Sorry, online? 1984. 
And I said online. Jesus. Owner of Diamond Comic Distributors and Gepi's Comic World paid $50,000 for, among other properties, Harvey's entire archive of original art from the Harvey Comics Sad Sack. Gepi made this agreement with Steve Harvey. He was back then. I love that guy. Who at the time was president of Harvey Publications, Inc., as well as president of Sad Sack, Inc., a wholly owned subsidiary of Harvey Publications, Incorporated. In 1985, the Marvel imprint Star Comics published a title called Royal Roy, Harvey sued Star for copyright infringement, claiming that Roy was a blatant copy of Richie Rich. Veteran Harvey writer-slash-artist Lenny Herman had created Royal Roy for Star Comics. Uh, Herman died in 1983 before the first issue of Royal Roy was published. The Royal Roy comic ended after six issues, and the lawsuit was dropped. In 1986, Harvey resumed publication under the leadership of Alan Harvey, Alfred's oldest son, focusing on a few more or a few core titles, digests, and reprints. In 1987, Harvey sued Columbia Pictures for $50 million, claiming that the Ghostbusters logo used in the 1984 film was too reminiscent of Fatso from the Casper series. The court ruled in Columbia's favor, big surprise. Due to Harvey's failure to renew the copyrights on early Casper stories and the limited, quote-unquote, limited ways to draw a figure of a cartoon ghost. In 1989, Harvey was sold to Jeffrey Montgomery's HMH Communications, located in Santa Monica, California. It was renamed Harvey Comics Entertainment, publishing reprints in the, 19, uh, the early 1990s as Harvey Classics. In 1993, the company created two imprints, Nemesis Comics and Ultra Comics, to publish Ultraman comics, as well as a couple of other titles. In 1994, Marvel took over publishing and distribution for HCE. In addition, Montgomery himself began selling a package of older cartoons featuring the characters Harvey had purchased from Paramount to local stations. With Claster Television serving as his distributor, Montgomery launched Casper and Friends in 1990. After the rerun package was pulled in 1994, Montgomery teamed with Carb. Carbuncle cartoons and Film Roman. I remember that that little outro or whatever on Film Roman, respectively, for two new animated series based on Harvey properties. The first, produced by Carbuncle and launching in 1994, featured Baby Huey, and the second is Baby Huey, the one that like at Who Framed Roger Rabbit, who's like the baby, and then like the cut scene, and they go behind the scenes, and the baby's actually like, "Hey, give me my fucking cigar." I gotta get the what the who am I dealing with? Like, is that I don't know if that is or not. I need to look that up. It might be. I always thought that was so funny when I was a kid. My parents hated that so much. Damn. There's no um, there's no picture. I don't know. Either way, uh, the second sorry, I uh, and the second rerun pack. Where I'm losing my spot. All right, and the second film was produced by Film Roman. Uh, and it was a new Richie Rich cartoon that launched in 1996. A previous series had been done without Harvey's involvement other than licensing the character to Hanna-Barbera. During this period, Montgomery sold 20% of the company to MCA Incorporated, parent, uh, parent company of Universal Studios. Universal licensed the characters for use in its theme parks. Montgomery also optioned Richie Rich and Casper for two feature films, Richie Rich premiered in 1994 and was a financial flop, while in 1995's Casper became a massive hit. Montgomery also struck a publishing and distribution deal with Marvel Comics, which led Marvel to 
published Casper titles, including an adaptation of the 1995 live-action Casper movie. Two issues of an ongoing Casper title were published in May of 1997, followed by the short-lived Casper and Friends magazine from May to July of 97. Oh, I don't think we've got to go any further into what they turned into after that. You get the idea. Um, Not a lot to do with horror comics, really. But, um, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't I didn't know Richie Rich was a flop. Uh, me and my buddy Kyle, fucking me and Kyle, we watched that shit on VHS all the time. And we thought him having like the laser inside of his, their little mountain where they could carve out faces in the side of a mountain uh, was just literally the coolest thing ever. And that um, fucking Macaulay Culkin, Kevin McAllister was just the coolest of all time. And he might be, I don't know. I don't know. It seemed, like, it seemed like he was like maybe struggling there, but now it seems like everyone's like, no, he had it right the whole time. He was getting high as shit all the time and partying and, and not worrying about fame, and he was doing better than any other child actor. Um, but when I say partying, he was probably just getting high as shit and maybe drinking a little bit. Who knows? But uh, he had some band with the word pizza in it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, when you're a kid, you don't know that these movies are flops, you know? I didn't know that movie was a flop. Who, who, who fucking... And I didn't know Casper was a hit. I just knew that I loved it. And that, like, I could watch a movie that had uh, words like bitch. And, uh, and there's a lot of cursing in that movie for a PG movie. Um, Bill Pullman, uh, Christina Ricci, uh, I think Eric Idle. Was Eric Idle in that movie? I think he was. Faye, I think Faye Dunaway is, like, one of the... Uh, yeah, they're the bad guys, I think. I think. Anyway... Whatever, Devin Saw was in it as the human version of Casper. And, and, I mean, the girls just thought, and he knew it. Devin Sawa knew when it, just the way he talked, like such a fucking dickhead that 13-year-old was, or maybe even like nine. I don't even know how old he was when they made that fucking movie. But he walked out and was like, hey. I'm like, dude, you're, you're 12. You don't talk like, hey. Are you, are you narrating movies? Like... Can I keep you? And it's creepy now that you think about it. I need to go back and watch that movie because it might not be a child Devin Sawa. It might be an adult Devin Sawa embracing like a nine-year-old Christina Ricci, which if that's the case, got got to call the authorities. Um, but all of that is neither here nor there. We can go ahead and get into our first story from Chamber of Chills, number 21. Welcome. Come in, friends. The door is open. Won't you sit down? No, 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 not there. Sit by the fire. Let the bristling flames warm you. It is chilly in here, as if the cold air of death were in the room. Here, we'll stoke the coals. Ah, the fire leaps up with a thousand fingers as its nails of white heat slash at our flesh. Like the ripping fangs of a werewolf downing its screaming victim under a blood-red full moon. Do the torture racks along the walls frighten you? Don't cower in front of those skeletons. They're old friends. You ask what ghastly ghouls has this room seen? What horrible terror will the room see? The answers would make the eyes of a human man pivot with fear in their sockets. 
They would sear his sanity as burning pokers. All the stories we're about to tell you are true. Or don't you believe in witches, ghouls, and ghosts? We do! The stories you will read will turn your veins into tiny bands of ice as you delve into the mystery of murder, the savageness of the supernatural, and the viciousness of vampires. The stories you will read will make your scalp crawl when the dead dig their claws into living flesh. You... The door is closed. The demons are ready. Clutch your chair. You're trapped in the Chamber of Chills. The old hag of the hills. We have a scene inside. A dungeon. A witch and her cat. A skull with a knife through it, a burned-up candle, a cauldron boiling, and a book titled Black Magic with a single piece of paper hanging outside of the book. It reads, For centuries, the Noonan family in Ireland tortured and killed us, but the weird powers of a witch had taken a toll of them too. Many times have the church bells tolled a Noonan to an early grave. Now only Michael Noonan remains the last of that cursed breed of witch killers. I will vanquish him horribly. Our witch talking to her cat, who is conveniently named Satan. The time is ripe, my lovelies. The time is ripe for the last of the vile Noonins to fall from the family tree. And that tree will bear no more fruit. (laughs) We will make him molder in the Irish earth, eh, Satan? The witch stirs her cauldron. Boil and bubble, ye brewers of trouble. We'll make him suffer, we'll make his pain double. Hee hee hee! Ah, go, evil one. Go seek out Michael Newland in America. Bring him to his homeland, and we'll give him a warm welcome. Hee hee! Satan meows. Out of the cauldron, we see a demonic figure made up of smoke seems to be becoming an actual entity. A short time later, in an American college, we see a young man studying at his desk under solely the light of a lamp. He's got his window open and a cool breeze blows in. Gosh, don't know what's the matter with me tonight. Can't seem to concentrate. The wind is like a cold knife. Must be a storm brewing. I feel so queer. The whole room spinning must must be studying too hard, too long. Now we're seeing Mike spinning uh, in kind of an acid trip type of way in the panels when he hears the knock, and then we enter a priest. Mike, why didn't you answer? I saw your light on, and Mike, what's the matter? Are you ill? Yes, yes, I will go. I must go back to the old country. Something, somebody calls me. Yes, I'm coming. 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 Mike, for heaven's sake, what is it? Why? He's passed out. A terrible sickness has come upon the poor boy. 
<laughs> Look there, Satan. The enchantment is working. Now we have him spellbound. He will come. He'll make a tasty little mouse for your teeth and claws, eh, Satan? And the cat purrs. Easy, lad. I'll get a doctor for you. Oh! The witch looks on in her cauldron at the scene of the priest and Mike. And we go back to the apartment with the priest and a doctor arriving. Hurry, doctor. The poor boy's delirious. I felt his forehead. It was hot as a flame. Hurry. The doctor is having trouble getting up the stairs. I'm I'm coming as fast as fast as I can. He's right in here, doc. He's gone. What? What a devil of a mess. Say, this is a college stunt. He left a note. Says, I must go to Ireland, the land of my ancestors. Do not follow me. Thomas. Look, look, why, the boy's gone mad. We see the doctor and the priest looking out the window at Mike running through a field with a ghostly apparition surrounding him. Yes, I'm coming, coming, faster, faster. Mike, Mike, come back. Who's the lad talking to? There's no one there, he's mad. Now we see an airplane flying over the ocean. Now we have passengers or crew commenting on Mike. That passenger in seat one gives me the creeps. He hasn't said a word or taken a bite to eat in ten hours. I know. It seems as if he sees right through you. I'll be glad when we land in Dublin and we're rid of him. He's made everyone uncomfortable. Now we see Michael leaving the airport, approaching an uh, shadowy, ominous figure with lots of smoke in the background. And this figure says, Welcome, Michael Noonan. Welcome to the land of your ancestors. Come. I have a carriage waiting. You. I remember something. Your voice. Face. And we have another sheet of paper documenting, I believe, from maybe the witch's point of view. I knew when Michael Noonan approached Ireland. The blood in my veins ran cold as snakes. And in the wind were the wailing voices of dead witches, screaming their hate from their ancient graves, where their hated Noonans had sent them. I went to greet him. Now it was time to break the enchantment. I had a more horrible fate in store for Michael Noonan than he could guess. Horror he would not feel while in a trance. So... The witch snaps. Why, I know you. You're my old nurse, Colleen. But, but, I thought you were dead years ago. No, Michael, dear. Your old Colleen is still alive. <laughs> now we see Michael embracing this old witch. We see a carriage traveling through a graveyard. And we see one name on a headstone that says Sean Noonan. Yes, the old house isn't what it used to be. But I've kept it going many years on the small pension your father, Sean Noonan, left me. I'm glad I came back for a visit, Colleen. And, you know, it's strange, but I can hardly remember the trip here from America. It seems like a dream, but I knew I had to come. Of course, the old folks around here say the old Noonan Manor house is haunted, but I've been living here these many years, so you can see it's not true. People are fools. Can't say I blame them, Colleen. The old place has gone to seed. It looks like a rotting coffin. 
Something that should have stayed buried. Well, how does the old room look to you now, Michael? Oh, you must meet Sa- I mean, Sadie. My cat. She's been a good friend to me for many years. Come here, Sadie. I can just barely remember it all. Here, Sadie. This is Michael Noonan, the one I've told you about. Oh, the cat reaches out and screams and scratches Michael in the face. Ow, why you black devil? We move to Michael, sleep in a bed with the witch, holding a candle, overlooking him. I slipped a potion into his food that night, and then Michael Noonan stumbled to his bed wearily. Soon, soon you'll feel the ancient fury of a witch around your neck. I, you'll dance a merry dance. Only it will be a dance of death. <laughs> the next morning, Michael is coming down the stairs. Oh, uh, good morning, Colleen. Gee, I haven't slept like that for years. I slept like a dead man. I've got your breakfast ready, Master Michael. Then perhaps you'll want to take a walk to see the village and see how it's grown since you last saw it. Later, the witch is drinking a potion. Ah, he is gone. Now is the time to trap him. But I must be careful. The townspeople can't find out that the old hag of the hills still lives. I knew the agony I would have to suffer to make such a violent transformation. I swallowed the liquid fire and it seared my throat like a powerful acid. I writhed and twisted with the pain. Ah, the transformation is complete. My hands are smooth and white. Yes, smooth and beguiling to lead Noonan into the trap. (laughs) The witch has turned into, classically, uh, what was known as a beautiful woman back in the time that this book was released, I suppose. Sometime later, we're at an old tavern. Yes, I remember the old Noonans, especially your father, Sean. There was a man not afraid of the devil himself. There's a scuffle in the back of the room, so Mike says, Hey, what's going on there? A large man who's accosting a young woman says, Try to steal my wallet, will you, you young witch? Let me alone. Help, help someone. Oh, my poor wrist, you've hurt me. Look here, that's no way to treat her, even if what you said is true. Keep out of this, lad. I'm not a man to be threatened. Get out of my way, I'm warning you. Mike advances. All right, then. I'll have to tease you with my fist. He's always trying to get me into trouble just because I refuse to go out with him. Oh, look out. Mike punches this very large man out. His head hits the corner of the bar. Oh, you've killed him. Be careful when you pick a fight with a Noonan, the bartender. Hurry, Steve. Oh, oh, too late. He did it, officer. Oh, it was terrible. Hit him with this bottle. Look at the blood on it. Poor fellow never had a chance. All right, young fellow. Better come along to the jailhouse with me. And don't give me any trouble. You too, lady. But, but, the bartender. Poor old Clancy looks done for, Steve. That was a foul way for a Noonan to fight with a bottle across the head. They'll hang you. The witch, who is now a beautiful young woman for the time in these comics, is standing in the background, grinning. We move ahead to the trial. It was working perfectly. I could hardly restrain myself from breaking into wild laughter when, 
At the trial, each one of the words brought Michael Noonan a step closer to the gallows. And then what happened? He... he sneaked up behind poor Clancy and hit him with the bottle. Oh, it was terrible. The poor man didn't have a chance to defend himself. She lies! She lies! The judge, restrain that man! Michael Noonan, it is the decision of this court that you are guilty. On March 13th, you will be hanged by the neck until you are dead for the foul murder you have committed. Take him away. If Michael, looking at the witch, still in her beautiful form, you, you, you witch, you've done this to me by lying. Why? Why have you done it? You guessed right, Michael Noonan. A witch has done this to you. You're going to pay with your life for the misery your father's family has brought to my people. The witches of Ireland. We have beaten you. <laughs> but my vengeance was not to be complete with the hanging. I had other plans for Michael Noonan after he died. We go back to Michael's jail cell. There he is, lady. A disgrace to his family. Hurry up now, I'll give you a minute. Michael. Go away, Colleen. I don't want you to see me here. Never mind, Michael. I believe in you. Here, I've brought you something very special to eat. You must keep your strength up. Finally, the dawn of the day Michael Newton was to die came. I counted the seconds to the death hour. For the last time, I proclaim my innocence. For the last time, I killed him in self-defense. It was an accident. Peace be with you, son, says the priest. And as he reaches the gallows, they place the noose around his neck and release the floorboards underneath him. And he screams, Gentlemen, I pronounce Michael Noonan dead. Another man says, Good riddance to a bad lot, I say. And another man says, Let him hang. We'll cut him down later when the coffin's ready. But several hours later, when the guard came to cut him down, for the new grave in the criminal's graveyard was ready, the guard found. Saints preserve us! Why, he, he... he's gone. We see Michael with a noose around his neck, walking down an old dirt road in the forest. Why am I still walking here? The doctor pronounced me dead. I heard him. But that... how can that be? Something... something is forcing me to walk. We see him in a canyon entering a cave... Why am I here? We see the witch and other ghoulish creatures in the cave with her cauldron boiling. Welcome, Michael. We have been waiting for you, my friends and I. I want you to meet them, for they, like you, are doomed and cursed and must walk the earth until the end of time. Or until I release them, and I never will. You can see how each one died. They are all like you, my enemies. The noose, the noose, it chokes me. <laughs> it will choke you for centuries to come. Hear my curse on you, last of the Noonans. You are doomed to walk the earth, to haunt the old manor house forever. And that noose will always choke you. Now go. But several months later... Mike Noonan, Mike Noonan... And the name Noonan echoes through the halls. We have a man, the priest, inside the house. 
Mike, it is you. What, what's happened to you? Thomas, Thomas, my friend, you are talking to a dead man. Only the restless and doomed spirit of Mike Noonan speaks. And that's my story, Thomas. Doomed. Doomed. Thomas, it, it's incredible. But I'm glad I found you. That I came looking for you. There must be some way I can help you. What's that? We see by the fireplace behind them, the old witch and her cat, Satan. Hee <laughs> Listen to the foolish mortal, Satan. The cat purrs. Listen, evil one. I am a man of God, and in the name of the good book, the banisher of evil spirits, I demand you release Michael Noonan from your unjust curse. Speak! No, no, come no closer to me. You must hang him. Hang him! The cat screams as they fall into the fire. Keep back! Keep back! Keep back! And the cat screams as well as they catch on fire. Peace be with you, evil one. May there be mercy even for you. So Thomas, the priest, is talking to the body of Michael Noonan. Michael Noonan says, Do not grieve, Thomas. I am bodily already dead. It is my spirit which you must help me lay at rest. I am weary, Thomas, weary. Now you must help me do the deed. Goodbye. Thomas says, Goodbye, old friend. So that is the old hag of the hills. And it's an interesting uh, interesting little short story. Uh I've been trying to find kind of credits on this is on, you know, this issue, I guess, but also the story and whatnot. And what I can seem to find and this might be a blanket kind of credit and I, this but this is the most I could find uh for Chamber of Chills issues 21. So we have cover art by Al Avison, pencils and inks by Vic Donahue. It's edited by Leon Harvey, pencils and inks by Rudy uh, Peleus, and pencils and inks by Bob Powell. Don't know, you know, who did what on the first page. I don't see a signature unless it's hidden somewhere. Um, but I've been looking and I'm not seeing it, so uh, not sure exactly who did you know, this first story, but art wise, it's fantastic. Um, and it's just got that great classic feel, uh, it is in color and, um, the little, I don't know, they didn't have a lot of, you could, you could feel the sort of limitations they had as far as storytelling, because it really jumps without telling you like later it jumps like between things happening, just, like, and it's not very clear. So I read this a couple of times uh, to just kind of try to understand what's even happening. Like with Mike Noonan, um, he's yeah, he's so he's studying, and this gust of wind comes in, and literally all of a sudden he's just spinning, and there's knocking, and then there's a priest in there, and then he's you know he's reciting. Or whatever, saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, which you know, a lot of people out there are probably making jokes about the thing, and I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm above that. I'm not. But planting that seed. Anyway, um, yeah, and it, again, it cuts to, like, the doctor coming in, and then they're just gone, and then you go to a, an airplane with just people talking about this passenger, and then you just go to, like, him being picked up and thinking it's Doreen, and, like, 
it really bounces around. So when you see the witch um, drinking from this cup to turn her into like the for the times and these comics and uh, whatever into the quote unquote beautiful woman with like her boobs out and stuff and kind of looks like Gina Davis, but not really. Um, it's like you, you don't really, I don't know. It's just like they're expecting, it's almost like they expect you to know what's going on as it happens. But like, that's just not the case. I mean, you, you're seeing it happen. Obviously it's not a complicated story. The pacing is just kind of weird. Um, because then it, you know, it, then all of a sudden you do get a timestamp of sometime later, which you haven't gotten that before in this issue with the whole thing at the bar and him punching out the, the big guy. And it's just kind of a weird plan that she had to like get accosted by some dude so that Mike would kill him, you know, like and this guy is huge and Mike is not. And, you know, it just so happens that he punched him out and his head hit the corner of this bar, you know, and he died. And then they, I guess, hang him in the 19 fucking, what, 50s? Uh, that's what was weird to me, too. It's like, we're going to hang him by the neck in 1951. Um, just kind of a weird thing, which, whatever, you're allowed to kind of play with the times, obviously, because it's fiction. But um, it was just a strange way of, like, being like, all right, Sarah, you're coming with me, and you too, woman. Uh, and the fact that the bartender vouched for what the witch in disguise said, because he punched out this dude who hit the bar, but she's like, he hit him with this bottle. See, you'll see the blood, which that never happened, and then the bartender agrees with that, and I just, I don't understand. But then they go to trial and whatnot, and they hang the guy. Um... And then his, you know, it's like his body is still alive for some reason. Like, to go to this cave with the old witch to then be sent back to the house to haunt it where she comes back for this priest to, like, banish her into the fire. And, like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't really make any sense. I'm not real sure what's going on. Uh... You know, I know I'm thinking way too much into this short story, but like it really doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, I don't know what the story was about um, because it's like it ends. It, you start with like the witch being like we have to get rid of the Noonans, and then it ends with Noonan and a priest being like we have to clear. What is he like? Uh, uh, bodily, I'm already dead. It is by spirit which you must help me lay to rest. I'm weary, Thomas. Weary, which I don't. We don't know. I guess Thomas is supposed to be the guy maybe that found him in the beginning, but he doesn't look like the same character. Um, so, I, I, you know, I don't know. And they never call him by his... Okay, well, I was going to say they don't call him by his name, but actually the letter that Newton left that's like, I must go to Ireland to find the land of my ancestors. Do not follow me, Thomas. Like, he clearly left that, I guess, for the priest. So that's what it is. So he comes back to the house. And, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't really understand why the witch shows up and is able to be pushed into the fire or falls into the fire. And also, another confusing thing is the, at the end, I read the panels in sequence in which, to me, it made sense. Because it literally has the panel where 
the witch and her cat Satan are backing up to the fire and he's like listen evil one I'm man of God and she's like no come no closer like from that panel it points down to the panel it, like the progression makes no sense it's like uh, the priest Thomas is talking to Michael he sees him and then they're sitting down and and Michael has told him his story again time has passed and they have you're just you're assuming that and he's like and that's my story Thomas doomed doomed so then the witch and Satan the cat pop up in front of the fire then it goes to the Thomas the priest I guess reading scripture to her and she's falling back into the fire and the book is telling us to then follow the panel down where the priest is shaking hands with Thomas and saying goodbye old friend and then we're supposed to read the witch and Satan the cat falling into the fire burning alive saying keep back and then, then him Thomas saying peace be with you evil one may there be mercy even for you and there's like a faded uh, panel of like Thomas's body hanging in the jail cell and it says the end but like it doesn't make sense that way because like I, I don't know it just it just doesn't make sense in that progression because when he's saying goodbye to Michael the witch and the cat are not in the fire anymore they're not there so it's like he turned around and like cursed her into the fire then turned around but even so the art doesn't even make sense of the story so um yeah this was a weird one um like I said um art wise it looks fantastic and I love the recreation of this original story you have the original pages you can even see in some of the pages like the copy um like some of like the tape from i guess where it was being kept together uh in certain areas it's really cool but other than that it's not it doesn't look like a copy like a photocopy it looks like the real thing in this book but there's just certain places mostly on like the inside cover uh where it gives you the table of contents and all that um you can kind of see the sort of uh way it was put together and whatnot but like in a in a good way i love that um so yeah not the strongest not the strongest of horror stories to lead out the first issue of chamber of chills um i did enjoy it of course why would i not enjoy any of them um yeah it you know it just it is what it is as a story <laughs> but um you know who knows? Whatever. Uh, doesn't make sense, but it is what it is. Doesn't have to. I, I don't know. I don't even know why I'm talking about these in this whole this whole show that I have. I'm not here to give them uh, ratings or or thumb amount of thumbs up or anything like that. It's just it is what it is, I guess. And we're here to talk about it and have fun, and that's what I want to continue to do. So I'm gonna. But anyway, we can move on now to. The next story. The Avenging Spectre. The roulette wheel spun round and round. When it stopped, I won again! I won again! The group around the table began to laugh and clap. Cyrus Watson had won again. With this winning, he will have broken the bank of the Lamont Gambling Casino. Jock Lamont, owner of the club, stepped over to Watson. Well, Mr. Watson, you've cleaned us out tonight. Sorry, folks, the bank's closed. Lamont spun around and headed for his private office. When he was seated in his huge oaken chair, he pressed a button. Ripper, Johnny, come here quick. In a few minutes, the door to Lamont's office swung open and in strode two killers. What gives, boss? 
snapped the man with the ugly scar gashing his left cheek. Ripper, a sucker has taken us. We tried all the phony stuff on him, but he's still won. You boys know what I want you to do. And, to make sure you do it right, I'm coming with you. Later that evening, as Cyrus Watson left the casino, three men piled into a car and began to trail Watson's car. Then, suddenly, the car following Watson's swerved out in front and stopped dead. The three men ran from their car, flung the door to Watson's car open, and dragged Watson out. Wait, wait, pleaded Watson. You can't kill me. Here, I'll give you the money. Don't. If you'll shoot me, I swear my brother will avenge my death. My brother! Three shots are fired. Okay, Johnny, Ripper, let's get out of here. We'll spend a few days up in my lodge. Mr. Lamont, snapped Ripper. We've been up at this lodge for four days now. I'm getting the creeps. Remember what that guy said about his brother? Dry up, Ripper, or I'll clean your skull with this bottle. Shut up, the two of you, blasted Lamont. I've checked Watson's brother, and he was hung ten years ago on a frame-up we worked. Hey, what happened to the lights? Ripper gasped. Then, as the men groped about in the dark, oh my gosh, they heard a gurgled scream, the end of which seemed to die in a human throat. Say, there go the lights on again, Johnny yelled, but his yell instantly turned into a sigh of horror. On the floor, his neck broken by a thick cord, lay Ripper. Boss, that dead guy's curse is coming true. It got Ripper. I'm gonna get out of here. Stay right where you are, Johnny. Something funny's going on. We'll barricade ourselves in and then let any ghost try to get us. Jacques Lamont scowled as he began to prepare a plan to keep them alive. After the men had set up a complicated defense system of alarms and traps, <laughs> oh, they waited. <clears throat> I'm sorry, they waited in. Waited for something unknown this summer. No, sorry. I just, I, I kind of lost it there, uh, clearly. But, like, I mean, okay, th the story doesn't have any visuals, so they have to describe everything. It's just, it's funny. Sorry, it's funny. I enjoy it, but it's funny. Is that fun? Yeah. Here we go. About 11 o'clock that night, a soft knock was heard. Boss, somebody's outside. What do we do? <clears throat> well, whispered Johnny. Johnny's whisper is quite aggressive. It's okay. I called for some of the boys to come up and give us a hand. Open the door, ordered Lamont. As Johnny went to the door, Lamont turned his back and lit a cigarette. Well, where are you, Johnny? Impatiently called Lamont after a few minutes had passed and no one came. What are the dimensions of this this cabin? He literally turned his back was he just waiting with his back turned? I, I, I don't know. Okay. Crushing the cigarette in his palm, the gang leader walked over to the door and threw it open. His eyes bulged. As Johnny's were bulging, except Johnny was sprawled out on the ground, strangled. Stumbling back inside, Lamont slammed the door shut, his fingers sweating bands of flesh dug into the door. Lamont wasn't a man anymore. He was the beast in the jungle, wounded and cornered. With desperation, Jock Lamont whipped out his gun and began to scream. I ain't afraid of you. Come on, you'll never get me. As the shadow of a man and a noose hanging from his hands fell over Lamont, the revolver dropped from the crook's limp fingers. Lamont couldn't even move as the rope slipped around his neck. What he saw and what was happening to him had frozen him, 
into a living corpse. And that is the uh, Avenging Spectre. Uh, maybe I should be a little bit more dramatic. The Avenging, <clears throat> the Avenging Spectre. Were you ready for this summer's most anticipated that one man, one desire in a world? No. <clears throat> um, wow. Yeah, these stories are funny. And I, I usually, actually, I've, I've read a few of them before on the show, but like generally skip over them. But I, they're just... They're funny because they've got to walk around the fact that you're not seeing what's happening and their way they do some of that is funny. And also, um, I don't know how I'm going to end up editing this. Uh, I'll do something, I'm sure, to, to, to show what I'm about to address. But like after they shoot, um, what's his face? Watson, um, and they're like, okay, Johnny Ripper, let's get out of here. We'll spend a few days at my lodge. Like, literally just the next sentence is, Mr. Lamont snapped, Ripper, we've been up at this lodge for four days. It's just like, oh, so four days have passed between these, uh, this period and these quotations. Um, it's just funny, but like, I mean, you know, obviously uh, we have a good time with it and we enjoy it. And I, I like that they include this stuff because it's a little bit different when they do it uh, other than just having... Actually, I like this more than when they just have like a one page comic story because that always seems to like, not always, I'm sure, but it seems like those tend to be the most, what the fuck, uh, stories. Uh, I mean, this is too clearly, but like, um, you know, you get the idea here and it's very descriptive and whatnot. So I haven't had a good time with it. Uh, so kudos to whoever wrote it. So our next story here um, is relatively short as well, but it is, uh, well, let's just start. It came toward him, blacker than midnight, more terrible than a nightmare. How could a man fight that which would not die? The thing that was darker than death. Cal Hodgins was an easygoing soul, and too much so for his ambitious wife. Uh, he ambled all over New England with his hardware store on wheels. Though he didn't make much money, he liked wondering about what the next day would bring. Now which way do we go, Cal? Right or left? Makes no difference, Janet. Never been through this part before. Fate must have been laughing that day as Janet took one of the forks. Uh, sometimes a strange road leads to a strange end. Hey, old timer. Can you help a stranger out and tell me where this road goes? Sure, son. It goes straight to death. That's where it goes. Hey, what do you mean, Pop? Mr... If I had my way, I'd block this road off so no human being could go down it. This road leads to the old Randall house. And death. Son, this is the third man I've buried in the last ten years. And every dang one of them stayed at the Randall place. You should have seen what they looked like. Ugh, too horrible to describe. Kyle! Kyle Hodgins! Oh, that man... 
He's worse than an old woman. Has to hear all the local gossip. Nanny! Nanny! Okay, so now those two last voices that I'm doing were uh, Cal Hodgins' wife and young daughter? Yeah, young daughter. All right, boys. Hurry it up. Feels like a storm's coming. So, you want the whole story? Eh, okay, I'll tell it to you. Fine, go ahead, Sheriff. About ten years ago, when I was first elected Sheriff, old man Randall and his nephew lived in the house. Randall was the richest man in the state and the stingiest. Now we have, uh, I guess, a lawyer talking to Randall at his desk. We see a a, a chalice of wine spilled. You're dying, Uncle. I've poisoned your wine. Now your fortune will be mine, all mine. Oh, he's a link. Here he is. He's a poet. Or a rapper. Or maybe just a really good, like, like Disney. You're dying, Uncle. I've poisoned your wine. Now your fortune will be mine, all mine. I should put some music behind that and make that actually a thing. But we're going to go with it. So then we have Randall go, Ah, you'll never get it, John. I'm not a red penny. I've hidden it. The old man was my friend, and when I didn't see him for a few days, I rode out to the mansion. When I got there, I found him. Dead. Poor old Randall. He always told me he never trusted that nephew of his. (laughs) Oh, God. And the best part is, I guess between the, the nephew saying the thing, uh, without a southern accent, uh, in my mind, uh, and he, saying that he must have literally turned around and just ran away because Randall had the the opportunity to, uh, in I guess wine, write very clearly. John did it, <laughs> so we never did. <clears throat> sorry, we never did find the old man's nephew. Just disappeared. Anyhow, we boarded the house up. People around here kept away from it. But every once in a while... Guess I could stay here till morning. Boy, am I tired. Obviously, we have a guest who's at the front door of the old abandoned house, which, according to old horror comics, that's just a normal thing to walk up to an old terrifying house and be like, can I spend the night here? Also, give me food and take care of me. And it always ends badly, so whatever. He was the first one. I went out to inspect the mansion and found him, dead. Then I found two more of them. The third one we've just buried. The funny thing is that they all died in the same bone-chilling way. Now we have a scene of them finding a body, uh, or the body of this person that came to the house, and it's uh, this old man um, that kind of looks like Sam Elliott, uh, and two other guys who it really doesn't matter what they look like. One of them says, Poor devil, looks like you fell down the stairs. Sam Elliott says, Don't think so, Bill. I keep changing. I think his voice keeps getting deeper or like something changes every time I do it, but whatever. Don't think so, Bill. Look at the way his face is mangled. His body ripped and crushed. Seems to me he was thrown down the stairs. Another man off to the side. Who? How? Say, fellas, let's get out of here. This place gives me the creeps. 
That's what I'm talking about. This one guy is like, I'm about to ask questions, but now I'm just like, let's fucking scram. So now we go to the graveyard and they're burying uh, the body. We're back to our, I think, kind of our present day uh, uh, crew here with Cal Hodgins and this old guy uh, where they're, I guess, burying this body. And Cal says, and you never found out how they died or what killed them? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't. No. <laughs> I'm Sorry, I just keep losing my place. And I'm like, <laughs> oh boy. At least I have fun doing this, right? It's a good time for me. Maybe not for you. I don't know. Here we are. No, this last one had no face left. I mean, I literally seen the panel before that. He had a face and his body was not ripped and mangled. Whatever. And no identification. But everyone who has stayed in that house one night has died a horrible death. The second fellow we found in three pieces. Well, it's about time. So I guess Cal and this Sam Elliott feller are back at the uh, wagon. Thanks, Pop, for telling me that story. I wouldn't mind taking a look at the old place. Of course you wouldn't. Of course, after all that, why would you not want to go there? I mean, it sounds like uh, a sandals resort. That's what, you know, all-inclusive, uh, only, I like, why would you not want to go look at it? Take my advice, son, and just turn your wagon around. If it rains, it wouldn't do your family any good to be caught outside. So as the wagon takes off, Cal, the old man said to turn back, and those storm clouds are piling up. I gotta say this play. I gotta say this. <clears throat> okay. I gotta say this old place, Janet. <laughs> it's only a few miles down the road. Get up there. That's what it says. I didn't add that. It says, get up there. Hey, uh, Jesus. I love it. I'm, I'm in love with this story. But Cal was as curious as he was carefree. He was drawn toward the old Randall place as a hooked fish is drawn to the fisherman. I, that's not how fishing works, but... It's a horrible old place, Cal. It looks as if the house itself has some terrible rotting disease. The house looks totally normal. Um, I mean, it's a big, big, ominous, scary house, but it does not look like it has a rotting disease. Four men have died in that house. Strange. Now we see lightning strike uh, a, a tree branch. It, it's very small looking, but it does, I guess, make the tree fall. I, I don't know what's going on here. I guess the limb falls in front of the... No, because it's like they're stuck in mud. I don't know what's going on, but Cal is trying to push them out of whatever situation they're in, stuck in mud, or they've got the tree in front. It looked... Looks like they're like halfway, whatever, in in the mud. And Cal's like, I I can't, I can't <laughs> budge the wagon. Now you've done it, and there's nobody around for miles. Oh, Cal, you are a fool. Your curiosity will be the death of us yet. I'm scared, Mummy, says the daughter. The storm sounded as if giants were battling in the sky. As the wet, foggy night closed in, the lonely eye of a nearby lighthouse wickedly winked on and off, glaring at the intruders. Well, we're stuck for fair. <laughs> Look, I'm, 
I'm going to go take a glance around that old house, and maybe we could manage to stay for a night. <laughs> now, don't worry, Janet. I'll take the gun. There isn't anything living that won't die when you shoot it. You know, answer opens the door. Guys, I apologize. I, uh, you've made it this far. You know, might as well make it to the end of at least this story. <laughs> Come on, Cal, what are you afraid of? It's just an old deserted house. And yet, oh good, there's a lantern. Now he does have a flashlight, so he's got a little double whammy light action. So he, But here's where things just start disappearing. Uh, he turns on the lantern, and his flashlight disappears. Though Cal didn't know exactly why, fear twisted in his stomach and sent a tingling sensation across his scalp. Some lost, primitive sense seemed to be warning him that he was not alone. Hey, what was that sound? Sounds like bats. <laughs> a flapping sound coming behind the curtains. Oh, good heavens, what is it? He fires two shots. We see a dragonish creature with a bird's head. Uh, it's a black and kind of blue with a white fur ring around its neck flapping out from behind the curtains the monsters swooped towards him each claw as dangerous as a handful of knives then he felt as if hot pokers had been rammed into his face then oh, ah, you black devil whatever you are you'll fail the point of my knife before I'm a dead man now here's where thi actually let me just continue Cal knew he was looking death in the face as the weird shape prepared to attack again. Weak from loss of blood, Cal became very dizzy, but in his sweaty hand he held tightly his only weapon and hope. Okay, so Cal has a dagger in his hand and he stabs this dragon bird and it screeches. Here's the problem. In the same hand in which he's holding the knife, two panels before he was holding a gun. So I'm not real sure his only weapon and hope being a knife. Don't know what's going on here. I guess we're just going to let this fly because here we are. As the knife plunged into the bony breast of the evil thing, a piercing scream, half human, ripped through the house. Encouraged, Cal grabbed the thing by its head and, Whatever you are, you can't take cold steel. Oh, oh hey! Now we see that a mask has been pulled off the bird head. We see a human head. Help me. I'm, I'm dying. Look, who is it? Now the Sam Elliott feller and the wife of Cal have entered the room. I thought I'd better take a look out here when you people didn't get to town. And, uh, well, I'll be a so's ear. That's John Randall. Cal? Are you all right? Uh, the shots. Okay, so there was a gun still involved. They didn't retcon that in the next page, so clearly we just have multiple weapons. But he flew. How could he? Look up there. That's how, son. You've got a reward coming for this. Yes, I've been hiding here all these years, looking for the money my uncle hid, keeping others away. One of the shots cut the rope. The others went through the wings. Didn't harm me. <laughs> Cal, will you stop counting that reward money and tell me which way to go? 
300, 400, huh? Oh, uh, take any one, Janet. I, I've been through this part before. Or actually, sorry, he says, I've never been through this part before. The end. Okay, fucking what is going on? Uh, okay, so let's go back a panel. And we've got the Sam Elliott, uh, talking to Cal and he's like, but how could he fly? And, uh, He's like, look up there. That's how you've got reward coming for this. You, you, okay. I, you see like a cluster of what is like, looks like ropes, but it is not, it's like not, it's just a bundle. <laughs> and like the word bubbles are covering up most of it. You see what looks like it might be some kind of a pulley system, I think, but it's so like, I don't know. It's so hilarious after what you've seen before with the thing flying. It's like, why go through this? Okay, first, and then he says he's been hiding here these years looking for the monk, the money that his uncle hid, keeping others away. No, apparently he's been murdering people, um, not keeping them away. Uh, and then he's like, Went through the wings, didn't harm me, ha ha, and he just gets a big kick out. I'm like, wait, wait, what is going on here? Um, this story is fucking hilarious, and uh, it's one of my favorites that uh, I've read on this show because it's so hilarious to me, and I love the idea that Cal is just so, uh, what's the word? Just, oh, I mean, my God, there's a black-winged demon flying near me. Whatever. I got a gun now. The gun has turned into a knife, and I, whatever it is, I'm holding you're dead. <laughs> oh, actually, you're not dead. Because he, like, he stabbed him, and he screeched, and, like, this bird head is making, uh, it's, like, expressing, and it was, like, moving, and, like, its eyes and whatnot, and it screeches. But, like, okay, so what did he stab that made... You know what made him scream? Because it, it's like where the head, where <laughs> his head is, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I'm just trying to make any sense of it. It's so funny though. You've got you got to read this. Like you have to really see it to get it. Now the art is awesome. I guess minus the pulley system, uh, but that makes me think they were like, oh wait, actually we're not going to go on with the story. Uh, you've got to finish this in two panels. So here we go. But uh, my God, this. Um, I, I got so much joy out of the story when I read it for the first time to like kind of, you know, get ready to do the review or whatever, uh, not review, but whatever the reading. And then I, I just obviously couldn't keep it together, uh, through the reading. Um, but yeah, this is awesome and you really have to see it to believe it. But, um, the next two pages of this is a kind of a double splash kind of thing of like, is a story about a gorilla and then another gorilla and then strange customs of other um, tribal kind of uh, cannibal holocaust type things that I'm not going to read. It's just, it's not anything insane, but um, you have another page here of tricks to mystify your friends. Let's see what this is like. Cause I actually haven't read this. I skipped over this and read the actual stories, but um, uh, no, not, I'm not going to read this. It's like a weird, like asking questions and you can turn the page upside down and read the answers. And it's just really bad fake, uh, optical illusions, I guess. Um, so, okay. Yeah. From here, we'll just continue. I think with the stories, 
the next of which is, well, it's interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when it gets closer to the end. The faraway little islands of the South Pacific throbbing with the beat of midnight drums and screaming with the unknown of the jungle night keep their black secrets well. But sometimes the horror is too great to keep from the ears of other lands. For tales of terror travel like phantoms in storm-tortured nights. What? And whatever. And you can hear the wail of... The Chieftain of the Undead. It lives! The dead one lives! No, no, death has claimed you, Mabu. This cannot be. <laughs> Mabu is no natural man. He is too evil for the fiends of death. They have cast him back from the eternal blackness. This is our opening scene at a bunch of folks in a tribe on a bonfire with a coffin above the fire with a hand coming out of the coffin lifting the lid uh, absolute madness and um, I was gonna say we'll see where this comes back up but it doesn't so uh, just spoiler alerts, I guess. Uh, this is uh, hilarious, and I apologize if you hear my cat in the background um, uh, making all sorts of racket because it has been Mardi Gras uh, here in Louisiana. Uh, one of the things I hate more than anything is Mardi Gras, and uh, I just so happen to marry into a relationship with my wife, and she loves it so much, and that's great. I'm glad she does. I just can't stand it, and apparently my cat has now joined in on the festivities because she keeps bringing a gold-beaded uh, plastic piece of shit uh, thing around and she keeps dropping it at my feet wanting to play fetch because that's what my cat does for some reason is play fetch and uh it's cute but i mean come on you know maybe maybe this story could be a cautionary tale for nora or i I don't know whatever it means by the end who knows um again I, i don't know who does the art on this story but it's fantastic uh, before we go into it uh it's absolutely beautiful and i love Love, love, love. The Chieftain of the Undead sort of title headliner uh, font that they, I, I know, I'm assuming, yeah, obviously they drew it. Uh, it's great. It really is. Um, it's very cool. So our narrator here is the Ancient One. And uh, I'm curious about what the role of the Ancient One is moving forward. Seems like maybe this one is set up to be uh, something that is reoccurring, but I don't know because I haven't read uh, this entire volume. I've only read this issue. Um, As far as I know, could be wrong. A lot of horror comics getting out of here, but as far as this uh, edition, yeah. And I apologize for going on and on. Here we go. We're getting into this goddamn story. Here's the ancient one. Yes, 
I remember the wild night Mabu was cursed. And I keep wanting to say Mabu, but I'm not going to say it. Yes, I remember the wild night Mabu was cursed. I, the ancient one, know when their voices are in the wind, for they are my friends. Away, friend of slime. You are scaring my baby. Away, I say. We have a baby crying in a carriage, and the ancient one is in someone's hut pointing at the baby. <laughs> see, see, he is marked. The fiends have marked him. Hush, little one. The ancient one is mad. Hush. If she has hurt our little Mabu, I'll... How he shall make the world squirm, that little one. I know. So, the father has now appeared. It's like they're... Okay, disclaimer. It's like a tribe, but they're also, like, just wearing, like, like a strapless, like, dresses, like, day dresses, and, like, the men are just kind of wearing shorts. Uh, but they're not, they're not white, which is probably the right thing to do here, you know, I, you know, it's because of what they're trying to sort of uh, establish. Um, I just don't know what is with the uh, clothes. It's like a mix of like there are like Tarzan style like loincloths, but then some dudes just wearing, you know, swim trunks from the 1970s. It's weird. Anyway, um, also uh, in. Uh, Whatever the ethnicity of these folks is now, while a lot of people, it's like you can't win for, for anything because it's like, well, you should respect their culture and whatnot. So if I tried to make an accent for the folks in this story, which I don't know what it would be necessarily, so I'm not going to do that. Um, again, I don't know what to do here, so I'm just going to make them all sound other than the ancient one who is going to be your basically your crypt keeper at a.k.a. every voice that I do. I'm just going to make them all sound like uh, ridiculously, I guess, white? But then it's like you're whitewashing. So, like, what's the right answer? Do I do the accent? Do I whitewash it and make them sound like me? Or do I just say, well, I'm not allowed to do this podcast anymore. I guess I'll quit now. <clears throat> the world turned in space many times as Mabu grew. But he was touched by evil, and in his brain a slow poison made him do evil things. Now this is sort of a montage of Mabu getting older and just doing different things so it doesn't... You're Visually you're seeing him grow and be older while he's doing these things, but I wanted to say that because reading it would just didn't, doesn't really get bring that across. So the, in the first one, he's getting yelled at by some villagers because he's hanging uh, a monkey from a tree which is real fucked up and so this other child is saying Mabu you son of Satan what possesses you to do that your father shall hear about this fool the boy is possessed but this is just the beginning we move on to another scene of Mabu whipping the back of another villager who is screaming why do you lash him he does what you ordered him. Quiet. I'll give you something to... What? I'll give you something to sing about. I'll lash whom I please whenever the spirit moves me to lash. Now we have Mabu with his father. My son, I saw what you did to Kila. What has gotten into you to make you do such cruelty? Now give me that whip. 
Sometimes I lose my head, father. I don't know why. I just wanted them to build me a playhouse. <laughs> oh, so in the background, we've got another child checking. On Keela. How's your back, Keela? It burns like the wound of a poison snake. How long shall we stand this bullying? I don't know how old they're supposed to be here. Maybe 12, but like between panels, it's like he could be fucking 40. I, I don't know. So now we've got a, adult Keela and Mabu and Lula, a female who is uh, waiting in the shadows in the forefront of the panel in her hut. And you'll understand what's going on here. Um, they, they don't, they don't hide it too well, but you've got, uh, Keela talking to Mabu. Mabu, I warn you, Lula is my betrothed. You have no right here. It is all arranged between our families. Be gone or there will be great trouble. Ah, it is my playmate, Keela. Silence, weak one. It is I who will claim Lula. For many years you have brought pain and misery to the creatures of the world, but only over my dead body will you bring pain to Lula. You challenge me, son of an ape? You challenge Mabu? All right, I accept your challenge, fool. There is the sign of the cross spears. You see two crossed spears stabbed into the ground. Tonight I will wet the earth with your blood. Away and pray to your fiends for help. I have lungs. What? I have lung. I have lungs, he says. No. I have long wished to rid our island of your presence. Tonight, you die. So this is obviously Mabu and Kila still taunting each other. So now we have the ancient one. The fiends watch over Mabu. <laughs> Death shall come this night. So now at this fight, we've got villagers, and we just get a, an array of people talking and, and thought bubbles. You both know the rules. Only the dagger and the shield, and the fight continues until either one yields or dies. Ready? Keela must win. He is honorable. Mabu had no right to go to the hut of Lula. Now, I'm, I'm going to start saying that. I, I, I want my, actually, my wife and her friends to start talking like that when they talk about uh, The Bachelor. Chad had no right to go to the hut of Sydney. How dare he go to her hut? And we all know what they mean. That's what we need right now in America. Mabu had no right to go to the hut of Lula. Now Mabu will pay for his past wickedness. Keela! Keela! The tribe is against Mabu, but there are those who cannot be seen and who will help Mabu, thinks one random villager who I guess is right. It's not the ancient one. Although maybe it is. I can't tell. Yeah, I think it actually is the ancient one who's thinking that, but the thought bubble is only filled in with white and the little circles going to another villager's head, but you can actually see the lines going down. So I was wrong. I should have read that in the ancient one's voice, but it kind of hurts my throat to do that, so I'm just going to move on. Prepare to die, Keela. Lower the snake's Wait, what? <sighs> Prepare to die, Keela. Lower than the snake's belly. This is your funeral day. Less talk and more fight. Your tongue is sharper than your knife. Here, take this. You are over-anxious to kill, Mabu. They're just throwing... They're just trying to stab each other and blocking with shields, basically. 
Terror flashed from Mabu's eyes as the point of Kila's knife inched toward his throat. You are done, Mabu. I give you one chance to yield. I I yield to you, Kila. If Lula, who Kila is running to embrace. Oh, Kila, I was so frightened for you. I always knew he was a bully, afraid of death. The ancient one is talking to Mabu. What will you do now? See, it hurts. It, it just grates. It's like Marge Simpson, but like with shards of glass. But I'll do it for you guys. What will you do now, Mabu? You are disgraced in the eyes of the people and... Huh? Give me that stick, old woman. A man needs a stick rather than a knife to kill a snake. What? Is that a thing that people say? Anyway. Kila is running to embrace his wife, Lula or his betrothed, who he hutted recently. And Lula says, Keela, look out! Mabu slams this uh, staff in the back of uh, Keela's head. No one lives to gloat over Mabu. Now Mabu looks like a white dude. Like he's colored that way. I, I, I don't know what's... Whatever. Again... Uh, canceled. Uh, Chamber of Chills, you're canceled. You're done. Sorry, Twitter. Not gonna have it. After Mabu murdered Kila, he ran like a hunted animal. To escape the fury of the angry villagers, he ran deep into the dark jungle, and as I knew, he... I'm supposed to be reading this as the ancient one, but God damn it, my throat hurts. <clears throat> Let's go back. <clears throat> he ran like a hunted animal. To escape the fury of the angry villagers, he ran deep into the dark jungle, and as I knew he would, to my cave. For all the world knows that evil attracts evil. Just hear that in the Ancient One's voice, please. So we see Mabu in the cave, and the Ancient One's sitting there by a fire, and like a giant skull with a candle in, in it, which is awesome, but also, you know, so typical. But Mabu says, I, I think I've lost him now. And, but, oh, old woman, what are you doing here? This is my home, Abu, for five times longer than you are old. That's a complicated way of saying things. I was there when the fiends marked you, and now you have come to the right place. Sit. They will not seek you here. What do you mean by saying the fiends marked me? Oh, how I wish I had the power to bend the villagers under my will. I would make them all sweat and squirm. I mean, he's making a good case. He really is the victim here. You have the power, Mabu, with my help. Together, we can master the tribe, see? They will help. Your words are power. Speak your will. We hear some weird moaning going on in the background. I don't know what's going on there. I, I have the power ancient one then i wish to become king of the swine who okay what okay i wish to do them evil oh how cold it is in here hear him black avengers he commands and you must obey the march what so many problems with twitter these days they would not like that sentence plague the villagers go and spread death 
Several days went by while Mabu hid in the cave. During the nights, the wind whined like a stricken animal, and the jungle whispered of a strange, stalking death. Then, look, old one, there is great misery here. Yes, it is the plague. They fear you now, Mabu. I might not have seen so many stricken since before you were born. The fiends protect you and assail your enemies. Another villager comes up as the others, people lying on the ground, dead. It is you, Mabu. You and the Ancient One that have brought this curse on our heads. May the gold strike you down. I don't know. Show him your power, Mabu. Fiends that are my protectors, hear me. Stop the words in his throat. It is the plague. The And this other character is being killed. Acknowledge me, your new king, and I will lift this misery from you. Otherwise, you will all die. Save us, mighty one. Friend of the black spirits. Anything you say, great one, but save my child. King, king, make him our king. Help us, help us. So Mabu lifted the curse on the people and he became the chieftain. All feared him and obeyed his every command until Mabu, whose head seems like it's spinning and he kind of looks like Andy Griffith, but that's okay. Ancient one, I am ill. The plague has infected me, too. The whole world spins. Oh, no. No, Mabu. Great powers are yours. You must live. And we're moving right along here. We have Mabu apparently dead, lying on the table, and the Ancient One with uh, her, his, or her, I guess her head at on his heart, like on his chest, listening for a heartbeat. Other villagers are around, uh, speaking. Well, Ancient One, is it true? Is Mabu dead? He does not breathe. His heart is still. Yes, he has died. His power was too great. It has cracked his heart. Another villager in the background says, This is a joyous day. The tyrant is dead. Quick, let us bury him and forget his evil. Oh, they couldn't wait to pour the earth on Mabu. There was no sadness in the hearts of the men who carried the casket to the burying grounds, and no woman wept for his passing. But then, as we have villagers carrying his casket by torchlight, something moves inside. Listen, do you hear something? It is the wind in the treetops. There is no wind tonight. Which, I'm like, thank you. That's like, I think maybe Cabin in the Woods is like the only movie to be like, it's just the wind. And someone else be like, really? The men fled from the casket, and then, with a creak like the splitting of men's bones, the top of the dead, that's so sexist, the top of the dead Mabu's casket began to rise. In my hundred years, I had never, Jesus, I'm supposed to be reading this like the, fucking ancient one, but I just don't realize it until we get there. And my throat is so dry. In my hun- <clears throat> in my hundred years, I had never seen such an evil thing. Maybe it's just like the ancient one has a reading voice that's a little bit more proper and puts on like sort of a, a, a theatrical sort of animated voice for when she's talking to people. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. Look, Mabu rises, but the mark of death is upon him. He looks so white. 
Another villager screams. When they say he looks so white, he's literally wearing like a North Face vest uh, with like a fishing, like a long sleeve fishing shirt that's like like a kind of a bright yellow or bright pink or like a like a like a muted green, and that's fine. That's just what it is, and that's what we're dealing with here. Mabu, I have never seen such a thing as this. I am your slave. The edge of death is very dark. I have been with the fiends, and great misery and torture awaits me after I am dead. Ancient One, I must find a way to live forever. Ancient One, you must find out how I am to die. If I know that, I will be able to avoid it. Mabu, I have only called on the Supreme Prince of Evil once before. But I will do it for you. I am one of his disciples, but I warn you. He will seek payment for revealing secrets beyond our understanding. I keep the ritual recorded in the skull. Which is like, so how do you... Okay, you just... All right. It's just recorded in the skull. I have said the ancient words. No, okay. So we have them conjuring, basically, uh, death. It's a, you know, hooded figure coming out of a uh, fire... I have said the ancient words. Rise, O Prince of Fire. There, there, Mabu, he has come. He rises out of the flames. I know what you seek of me, Mabu. But for what you seek, you must sacrifice to me the life of Nula. The figure of smoke thinned away, and in Mabu's eyes was the look of maniacal joy. He laughed wildly and rushed out into the night. We have Mabu and a couple of other uh, villager men seizing Lula. Seize her quickly and follow me. As you wish, great one. Let me go. Let me go. Help. Help. Throw her in. We must obey, master. No, Mabu. No. Lula screams as they throw her into a pit of crocodiles for fuck's sake. That's something. And we go back to this cave where we have the, uh, I mean, pr- Prince of Fire? I have done as you wished. Now you must tell me. Mabu, a silver spear from the sky will lead you to the door of death. A silver spear from the sky, Mabu. The Ancient One laughs. Hardly had the words of the specter faded into a hollow echo when Mabu sent out a proclamation on the drums that all the natives on the island must bring him their silver spears or face horrible torture and death. That's it? Throw them there. When I have every silver spear, then I am safe from death. He <laughs> he! No one outwits death in the end. It is king. Just a panel of them throwing... Uh, red spears uh, with silver tips on the ground so I think we might have a little bit of a snafu here in our understanding maybe communication with the Prince of Fire is not so clear now we move ahead to Mabu and uh, I guess somebody else with a, another villager tied to a post why did you disobey orders you know I ordered every silver spear sent to me speak quickly hear me great Mabu The silver spear has been in my family for generations, handed down as a sacred trust from father to son. I would do you no harm with it. You must learn to obey. 
And now you must pay for lying. You are going to kill me with that silver spear, I know. No, Mabu, I swear. No, no. Ah! So he got killed by Mabu. And we move on to Mabu, um, I guess on a cliff or something? Like with his hands in the sky? I don't know what's going on here. The ancient one crouched behind him. Listen to the sky roar, ancient one. But I fear nothing. Nothing in this world. Not one silver spear exists on the island, and I have forbidden the making of another. We shall see, Mabu. <laughs> but as Mabu gloated into the dark, stormy sky, thinking that he was now secure from death, there was suddenly a crash, as if two mountains had collided, and... We see a lightning bolt strike Mabu. Um, now we get, uh, a bunch of villagers. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just going to read this and then describe what's going on. Okay. Now, actually, no. Backwards. I'm going to describe what's going on and then read it. So we have a bunch of villagers pushing a big boulder uh, over the door of this cave. Mabu's body is laying inside of it. And... So they do. They push this boulder in to block the cave entrance. And now you have the Ancient One saying, No, don't do it. You are burying him alive. He is not dead. The lightning only stunned him. Villager, we do not care, old one. The silver spear from the sky was the vengeance from the gods, and now we must act. Keep her quiet, or she will join Mabu. Finally, the rock was in place, and quickly, swiftly. Okay. The men left that place, leaving an old woman to watch and hear. Ancient one, help me. I I can't budge the boulder. Help me. Oh, the fiends, they come. They come to claim me. No, no, keep away. Keep away. Ah! The prophecy was right. I cannot help you now, Mabu. The silver spear from the sky has brought you to the door of death as it was foretold. And the door of death is too heavy for mortal man to move. Goodbye, Mabu. <laughs> so, it's weird. Uh, I don't understand the relationship of the ancient one with Mabu because it's like, the end is coming for you, Mabu. Oh, I dedicate my life to you. Uh, you have performed a feat that I have never seen before, so here we are. And then it's like, oh, but death shall find you anyway. And then it's like they, he gets struck by lightning. They put him in the cave, and they're closing it up. And it's like, no, you can't please bury him alive. Like, what? I just don't understand what this ancient one cares, you know? And then at the end, it's like, well, death is at the door for you. Like, I don't really get why the ancient one is so concerned that uh, he's being buried alive, basically. Um, and basically, he's like also saying that, like, she's like, you know, this is what was foretold. Uh, goodbye. And she's like laughing. So I just, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on here, but um, this was a fun story. Although I will be honest, when reading it both times before actually this recorded reading, like it felt, it's only a few pages, but it felt like it goes on forever. 
Um, probably even more so with my reading because I kept going off on weird little tangents and other shit that's probably very annoying. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Is this a weird one? Again, the art's really good. Um, but the story, I mean, we're talking Chamber of Chills here. Um, I guess this is like supposed to be a cautionary tale of like, don't sell your soul to the devil, children, or to the prince of fire. Uh, I, I don't know. Weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, we can, <laughs> I guess, I guess we can move on here. Uh, we've got a, I'm not even going to read this. It's a one page story. Uh, that's, that is, um, it's, it's panels and whatnot. I just, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. Uh, it's called Terror in the Heavens. And you see, it's about this, like, lost planet between, uh, Mars and Jupiter. And how it had dinosaurs, but they didn't know if they were, they didn't know if there were humans there. And then a meteor hits and destroys it. And then you just have, I guess, on Earth, if you were to look up at the heavens through a telescope, you would see the remains of the planet Polis as moons revolving around Mars and Jupiter. I don't know if this, what the fuck this is supposed to be. It's just so random. I mean, you know, just put like an ad or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, we'll move on and we could get to one of the, yeah, it's actually, this is the final, uh, multiple page story. And then we've got two sort of one page, uh, one shot little deals. Our scene is three crooks who are stealing from what looks like a baker or a butcher. Um, and uh, it is in Paris. And I'm not going to try to do French accents for everybody. Um, these three crooks, especially... Um, and moving forward, I, it's bad, folks. It's not, it's not good. So maybe I'll do it just for that reason here and there. But yeah, I'm not going to try to do that. So you don't believe in ghosts? Well, neither do a lot of other people. Paul Raynard was a non-believer until he met the ghost of the Rue de Mort. The time, early 1900s. The place, the slums of Paris. Our baker. Mon Dieu! Those little crooks will be the death of me yet! They're worse than Le I don't know what that's supposed to say. See? I don't know! <laughs> I'm just gonna move on! So our three crooks are running away. Come on, come on, he's after us! He's fat and slow! There's no need to run fast! Whew, I agree! Let's stop for a while! Oh god. Eight o'clock, know what that means? Time for the ghost which has all of Paris frightened. I don't believe there's any ghost, but since there's nothing better to do, let's go to the Rue de Mort and I will show you the ghost is fake. Always a good idea, folks. Stealing through the police lines which surround the strange Rue de Mort, the boys wait for the ghost. My papa says to stay away from the alley when the clock strikes eight. It's not wise to tamper with the unnatural, he says. Bah, 
Your papa is a fool if he believes that the ghost really exists. Then how come the police are here? If you're so smart, Paul, answer that. They're here to stop people like you from getting frightened. If it were really true, where's your ghost? It's eight o'clock already. Come on. What? Yep, cops are there just to make sure people don't get frightened of ghosts. That's, that's what we're doing. Ghost should be here any second. Quiet, you two, and watch that door. There he is, there he is. We do see a, a shadowy figure kind of wandering through, uh, wandering around the property, I guess. I tell you, there's no ghost, merely an old drunk who lives in that house. Come, throw things at him, and then we'll see if he's really a ghost. Just as the legend says, every night when the clock in the square strikes eight, the ghost shall appear and walk the Rue de Mort. There, you see, that one hit. Nonsense, you didn't even come close to him. But I hit him too. They go right through him. And I say he is a ghost. Those stones went right through him. And I say there's no such thing as a ghost. If he's a ghost, why does he do nothing but walk up and down this alley? Well, I don't know who's right, but look. He's gone. And there's nothing up there but a dead end. And if he isn't a ghost, how did he get through the wall? Probably stepped into one of the doorways along the alley, that's how. But I see there's no convincing you two. So let's go back to Monsieur La Freud's? I'm getting hungry. I'm a little confused by this panel because you're seeing the... I mean, I guess the ghost. What it looks like walking um, somewhere. Just, it's just the background is really strange looking um, and their voices are kind of coming from around a corner so I guess maybe they they can't see him obviously we're just I guess seeing that oh, I don't know whatever maybe he's inside the house uh, who knows or he's fading away whatever the years passed quickly and as is the way with most childhood friendships the trio split up and went their separate ways realizing that his chances for success were limited in the slums Paul Rayner turned to the other parts of the city to seek his fortune. Fate was good to Paul, and it wasn't long before the ruffian from the slums had been changed into a successful young businessman. But like every man, Paul occasionally returned to the scene of his childhood. Ah, that's where we used to steal cookies from Monsieur Lefroy. Ah, those were the good old days. Almost eight o'clock. Hmm. About time for the ghost of Rue de Mort to make his entrance. Never did find out if that story was true. There's no time like the present to find out. Now, Paul is wandering around Rue de Mort. It's very foggy and spooky looking. Uh, he's wearing like a, you know, your typical brown uh, ja- suit and tie and a, and a, um, goddammit, fedora to match. Place hasn't changed much. A little dirtier than before, but that's all. There's that doorway. Well, I'll stick around till late and see what happens. But at that instant, what the? Get him, John! He looks like he's carrying plenty of francs. And he should be glad to share them after I convince him. We've got these two crooks attacking him. It's just as I said. This wallet is full. Jean, Philippe, my two old friends. Look, he's Paul Raynard. And he's recognized us. That means he'll probably report us to the... Gidarmes? Sorry, people. And anybody in France. There's only one way to make sure he doesn't. Like this. There, that takes care of him. He won't report us to anyone now. Jean! Jean! Oh, no! Hurry, Jean, let's get out of here before someone sees us. Now, uh, Jean, or Jean, Jean, whoa, 
No, no wee wee. That's not right. I don't know. Sorry. Anytime I try a French thing, it always ends up turning into like something else. So um, they have struck him across the head. Now we have Paul lying there. And now he's not speaking to himself. He's thinking to himself. How long have I been lying here? Seems like hours. Why can't I get up? I can't raise myself. Now he sees the clock in the square. Eight o'clock. Time for the ghost. Now's the chance to see if there's such a thing. If he really exists, he can help me. Now the ghost is standing right over him, and he's thinking, There he is. Help me. Help. Don't you see me? The ghost says, now they're speaking out loud. Here, let me help you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I knew you'd help me. I just knew it. Well, the ghost does help him stand up. Now I know you're a fake. There is no such thing as the ghost of the Rue de Mort. When you help me to my feet, I can feel you. You're flesh and blood, just like me. Like you? Yes, I suppose I am. But that depends on what you mean by flesh and blood. Look. And as they both stand over Paul's body, That's me. But it can't be. I- I'm here alongside you. Yes, son. Alongside me. But as the new ghost of the room, Demort. First takeaway. Uh, this is a funny little story. I mean, obviously very simple and very cliche with the little twist there. He gets to take over and I don't know what happens to the next, to the previous ghost. Maybe he gets, I guess like his job is done. He goes into the afterlife or, or whatever. Uh, you don't see cause he's just standing there with him. But, uh, uh, I liked it enough. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny. The dialogue I think is pretty, uh, I don't know what's a good word for it. Just, uh, it's, it's almost like it was, and it might have been, I don't know, but it is almost like it was translated from, like, it, it's kind of the English, it, I don't know. It's not like it's broken English. It's just like almost too specific. Like, there's no, um, God, y'all are probably like, Jesus, man, get it together. Uh, I'm just, I can't find the words. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it's, it seems like it's translated from French or something to English. Uh, so it's just kind of funny in that way of like, uh, everything being so specific, despite the fact that you're reading it on the page, they're describing everything that they're doing. Um, for the most part, but yeah, it's pretty funny. And it, again, it could have been, tra- you know, translated back then. And who knows? I don't, I don't really know how all that. Stuff goes, but the next, the one page deal I was talking about, um, is how Death Valley got its name. And I'm just gonna kind of like, I don't know, skirt through these, uh, here. Death Valley is 130 miles long with half of it below sea level and is colored in spots like a deadly coral snake. The Indians call this, jeez, hey, cancel this guy. The Indians call this great pit Domitia meaning ground fire. On Christmas 1849, the Mormon party, or a Mormon party, known as the Jayhawkers, pushed toward Tomisha on their way to California. Little did these pioneers know the dangers that lay ahead. Almost immediately, they hit impassable grounds. Wagons had to be dragged over jagged boulders, and if that wasn't enough, the water and food supplies began to run low. Wagons were too clumsy for Tomisha, so the Jayhawkers burned their wagons to roast the meat of dying oxen and loaded their belongings on the remaining oxen. More than half of the Jayhawkers strayed and died of starvation. Forty days later, like the forty years of the Israelites, the 
push religion on me, you bastard. The pitiful survivors reached San Fernando Mission with a name for Tomisha. Since then, it's been known as Death Valley. Goodbye, Death Valley, they say as they're waving goodbye to Death Valley and moving on ahead, I guess. Um, you know, just something you learn in school, but uh, here it is in your uh, horror comics because that's where it belongs. I'm sure they did that to sort of justify, like, no, they're educational, see? All right, so the next is a little different, and we have our closing one-page story, Weird Worlds. As on Earth, the various societies on other planets have their problems with crime and punishment, too. Some of the different penalties imposed by peoples of other worlds are pictured below. On the side of Mercury, where there's always night, the criminal is strapped to a rock and his body is smeared with a certain juice. This juice attracts the Horax, the man-eating ants of Mercury. As the ants approach him, the criminal can see their bobbing-lighted antennas. Then the light from the antennas becomes blinding as he feels thousands of jaws tearing at his unprotected skin. Th these ants, uh, these <laughs> Mercury ants, are, are hilarious-looking. Um, I mean, they look like Big ants, like, or like maybe kind of grasshopper-ish, but they're just funny. They're kind of cute. Um, now we move on to everyone's favorite planet, Uranus, as they say now. Uranus has devised what is probably one of the most horrible punishments found anywhere. The offender is placed across the top of a mound, a heavy rock suspended from his hands down one side of the mound, and another heavy boulder suspended from his feet down the other side of the mound. The boulders are kept from rolling down the mound by ice pegs, which melt when the sun comes up. And then... So I guess I'm just like, what if the hands melt before the feet? Then he kind of can just like, I don't know, stand up and probably pull the boulder. I don't, I don't really know. I know the idea is like that he'll be ripped in half and then his bottom, top half will fall too, or I, I don't know point of this would be also where do they get this information and they should share this with nasa because clearly they have discovered the life on the other planets um and their how their societies work down to their torture uh but yet we don't know that there's life on other planets named for the greek god of the lower world pluto has many tortures to sway a man from a life of crime one of them is to run razor-sharp knives over the body of the criminal and then throw him into a pool of heavily salted water, healing the wounds. Which, I guess, is the point, because they say to sway him from it. So, yeah, very painful. In Neptune, the condemned one is forced to hang over a pit of snarling Shapir by holding onto a hollow pipe which runs over the pit. As the minutes pass, warm, then steaming hot water is pumped through the pipe. The man lives as long as he can grasp the burning metal. Okay, that's it. So, those little uh, vignettes, I guess you might call it, are hilarious to me. Um, it's just kind of like, here's some information. Uh, maybe you could have stretched out some of those other stories and not rushed them so much, but no, here's this. Here's some stuff about the about Death Valley. Um, so, uh, they're, okay, I couldn't remember... If I read the credits for this issue, because they are listed in the front, and if I have, then I'll delete this and you won't have heard it anyway. So, Chamber of Chills from June 1951, issue 21, uh, is 
created by the cover art by Al Avison. The Old Hag of the Hills is by Bob Powell. Darker Than Death is, uh, there's an un, unknown who wrote the script, but the pencils and inks are by George Appel. Chieftain of Death, unknown writer. Pencils and inks by Vic Donahue. Ghost of the Rue de Mort, unknown writer. Pencils and inks by Rudy uh, Pelaeus. Or Pelaeus? 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 I don't know. Um, yeah, your art, your art is pretty standard fare for these horror comics. Um, I, in, I mean that in a good way. Uh, yeah, it it's obviously looks classic, looks fantastic. Um, I love the opening page of Chamber of Chills, just the kind of like, um, table of contents and all that with the little, the first thing that I read on the side and you get little previews from all the different, uh, all the different stories that are going to be in there. Uh, it's cool. I like that. And that's kind of like a black and white sort of thing. And then the rest has been colored. Um, yeah, pretty awesome. And these Harvey's, um, Harvey horrors collected works are fantastic. I actually just got volume two of the soft, they're called softies or whatever, but it's this, this one I'm reading from is a hardcover. Um, and yeah, I've got the softies from now because they're much cheaper to find, uh, even like pretty much new. But yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into some of those. So, uh, Chamber of Chills is awesome. Um, albeit corny and not really like, um, not, you know, we'll see as we get, go through this series over time and find different issues, but not, not a very brutal magazine for sure. And, um, a lot of it is kind of, you know, the things sort of happen off of, uh, off screen, um, uh, or screen, whatever, you know, um, your typical implied things going on here, but, um, I still enjoy it even if it's not, you know, pre-code insanity with the entrails and stuff like that. Um, uh, still a good time, but obviously we want to get to the gory good stuff. So that will be coming up, uh, soon. The next episode is actually going to be more of the Hill House comics. But uh, as I said, I'm going to try to do more of these uh, kind of sprinkled throughout. And once the Hill House comics are over, I suppose, um, you know, this is what I'm going to be doing. And I'll, I will be catching up on Something is Killing the Children. But again, all of those are limited series as far as right now, um, unless I miss something. But they'll all be coming to an end uh, shortly within the next couple of months. Um, but yeah, we've got a new series, um, in the Hill House line that just started called Plunge. Uh, that's really interesting. And, uh, we'll be doing Lolo Woods issue three and that next episode too. But yeah, thank you all so much for, you know, listening and supporting. And it really means a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, it's cool to have, uh, sort of a, a, a folks that want to listen to this kind of thing. I know I did, which is, you know, clearly why I started it. But uh, before I get out of here, if you do have any show mail that you want me to read on air or any suggestions, or if you are a comic creator, a horror slash sci-fi, but let's, you know, keep it horror-ish um, in some way. Uh, if you're a comic creator in that genre and, you know, want me to say something about your book or, you know, potentially review it. I do have some backed up here that I am excited to be getting to. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot coming down the line there. So I will be getting to those here, uh, coming up, but send it my way. Uh, I'll be happy to, uh, buy it 
or if you want to send me a review copy, I'll, you know, I'll buy a copy as well. It doesn't matter. Um, happy to support, but yeah, send that to, uh, horror comics podcast at gmail.com and, or you can send me a, uh, any kind of correspondence on Twitter at horror comics pod. And don't forget to go to the link, um, in the show notes, uh, for nightmare threads. It's directly helping out the show. Again, you can see the shirt that I got that I love, or you can just shop, um, you know, shop there for whatever. It doesn't have to be the one that I got. It doesn't really matter. But when you do, if you, if you buy something, uh, type in the coupon code, one word, uh, all caps horror comics and you'll get five percent off of your order there and uh, nice little nice little savings with that so check it out thank you so much and again means a lot so until next time keep reading horror comics and try to keep it spooky halloween all the time baby Try to